I think the language that we narrate internally about whether out of control, overwhelmed, crazy, hectic, you start to manifest that. Mm. So break the business cycle. Hi everyone, this is Angela Poon, Operations Director at Strive Stronger, and today I'm flipping the tables and warming up this host chair because I'll be interviewing Andrew May, CEO and founder of Strive Stronger. Now, the reason I've dragged Andrew into the podcast room today is because we're getting more and more demand to support teams around two things, hybrid work and setting new operating rhythm. Andrew, you're a CEO of two companies. You run our Strive Stronger business, AM.com. You're a keynote speaker. You've written books. You're a mental skills coach. You're developing global programs and you run a podcast. And you're a father of four beautiful children. And I'm sure everyone is wondering, how are you so productive? I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Joke, Ange. Joke. There are a number of processes that I have learned that I do, but I didn't consciously go out and do. Yeah, because when, especially a CEO or a, a leader is introducing me at a conference, they'll often say that, you know, run a number of businesses, blah, blah, this media podcast and four kids and people have four kids, how do you do it? But can I flip it? Before I answer, what, what do you think I do? That's a good question. I think what you do really well is you manage your energy levels. So you're making sure that you're putting in time in for exercise and you also protect your diaries. You fiercely protect your diaries so that you're not attending meetings that don't add value. You have a great team that you can delegate to. (laughs) Personal plug. And you also are really good at the look back. So looking forward and looking back, you're doing that on a regular basis with Todd, with the team, so that we are all focused on the same priorities as a team, but also for your own individual work. I was interested to ask, I I had similar, I had uh, revenue generating activity. I'll regularly look at the diary and talk with Todd, why is that meeting there? Do I need to be in that? And really focusing my job, leading the business, especially leading sales, how can we generate revenue? And it's not that we're just, you know, cold, ruthless salespeople. When you run a small business and you have a payroll, you've got to focus on revenue. And that really drives a lot of our operating rhythm. Yeah, it is energy levels, managing that, walking meetings, taking breaks. I can't work anything other than doing that. When I've joined big organisations in the past, I've often really felt like the square peg in a round hole when when other people around me aren't doing that. And it's it's sometimes created some friction, but I I stand by it because it works. You and the team, yeah, have you Delegating, you've got, I've got an amazing team. So, and you and the team allow me to do that. There, there's a there's a fourth one. I'm just counting one, two, three. Uh, I was really unproductive when I started in the corporate world because. Coming in my late 20s, uh, when I had a corporate health business and we were bought by Accor, the hotel group, a company that became Good Health Solutions, that's now Executive Health Solutions, Australia's largest executive health assessment provider. And I was late 20s, early 30s when I was running that, way out of my depth, but bought by a French company and you know, hours worked was the uh, plat du jour. And I can remember the Monday morning meeting was three hours, the sales meeting. And then I was writing work-life balance programs. One night I finished a work-life balance program. Tell me what's wrong with this story, people. I closed my laptop at 2.57 a.m., went home, slept for 90 minutes, hopped on a flight at 6 a.m. to Perth, working with Ernst & Young on a work-life balance program. And as I was walking out after doing a half-day workshop, I felt dead, but I was fueled on caffeine and sugar. Andrew Holzman, great guy, put his hand on my shoulder, mate, thank you, it's really making a difference, the program. And as I flew back across the Nullarbor, 
I had that Jerry Maguire moment, you know, when Jerry Maguire played by Tom Cruise in the sports uh, agency movie, sports marketing movie, where he rewrote the rule book for sports agents. And I rewrote the rule book on the way back on that plane, Ange, for how I was going to work on productivity. Mm. Steve Rickson, still a great mate of mine, was the coach at New South Wales Cricket when I was there for seven years as a strength and conditioning coach. Stumper was there the first four years. If we had an 8am meeting, what time do you reckon we started? Not a trick question. 8 a.m.? 7.45. We started at 8. So if it was a rock star player, Steve Waugh, the Australian captain, Glenn McGrath, Brad Haddon, Michael Clark, uh, Stewie Clark, Greg Mayer, like all the, the, the foundation players, or if it was a rookie you'd never heard of, if they were there at one minute past eight, Stumper would say, Maisie, you take the squad for the warm-up, I'm taking him over for high balls. He'd then do high balls in a high-intensity interval training session where half of them would vomit. I'll paraphrase, and then he'd say, uh, get back with the rest of the squad, don't freaking well do it again. You can imagine what it was vitriolic, it was fantastic. No one was ever late again. Yeah. So I looked at all the practices that I'd sort of followed in the corporate world. I was following the leader. I was on the verge of burning out. So it wasn't natural for me to put a lot of the practices I'll talk to you about today, Ange, but I had to by default. And I've actually realized a lot of what I learned in sport about warming up, periodization, energy management, it's really sound practice to help you sustain productivity and working in the corporate world. Now, I want to really delve more on the productivity part, but I want to start with hybrid work first. We're doing lots of programs around our 30-day boost, our leadership programs, and we talk a lot about hybrid work, and you talk a lot about that in your keynotes as well. What are you seeing in the hybrid world that we're living in now, and what are the opportunities and challenges it presents? I'm seeing a blend of excitement and a bunch of anxiety and fatigue. Let's start with the anxiety and fatigue. They look at the latest stats. McKinsey recently did a study. 49% of respondents said they are feeling somewhat burned out because of hybrid work. 72% of employees report feeling exhausted by the hybrid working model. And it's a real opportunity for especially leaders and organisations to reset or to, to totally recalibrate the work proposition. I think some organisations, Ange, have gone to a default. Here's how we worked pre-Monday 16th of March 2020. Feels like years ago when we were told in Australia on that date to WFH. And then some organisations have gone, let's go back to where we were. No, 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 no. It's a whole new model. And I quote Professor Linda Grattan, who's just released a great book on hybrid work. Linda talks about the Model T Fort. Now, you and I weren't around Mm -hmm. then. Mm -mm. Our grandparents would have been. So back in 1923... There was one car, the T-Model Ford. Guess what colour it came in, Ange? You had a big Red, choice. Black, green. <laughs> you had a choice of black. So in 1923, there was one car, one model, one colour. And this is a little bit like hybrid work for mm. people who are going back to what it was pre-COVID working from home. Mm. You know, one way of working, yeah. one monochrome operating rhythm and one set of principles that you were... No, 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 no. Linda talks about now it's like a car. If you go and buy a car, there's a proliferation of brands, multiple models, and you can choose everything from massage on your seats to interior trim to lights. That's what hybrid work requires, a conversation two-way, not didactic, between the employer and employee. What works for you? Here's what works for me. Let's find a happy medium. So back to, to your original question, the anxiety and fatigue around hybrid is because so many people are still working the way they were a few years ago. 
at home and then working the same when they go to the office and the same at a client site or a hub. We haven't adapted the behaviours for this shifting environment. And then the second thing, employers, leaders have got a massive opportunity right now to engage workers with an exciting new model. So that's really interesting with a hybrid work. Um, And what I'm hearing a lot towards the latter part of the year, or what we've been hearing a lot from our clients, is that a number of organisations were really concerned with the great resignation that's meant to sweep the world. And I know you have some strong views about this, Andrew. Strong views. I think it's rubbish, Ange. And, And we saw a lot of the data last year. It was in Europe and US six to nine months before Australia. And look, there are more resignations because people are questioning work, the value of work and where and how they work. But I don't think it's the great resignation. It's a great realignment back to what we were talking about, where organisations and individuals realign around three things. Number one, what is work about? So this requires a new definition of work. Work is no longer somewhere you go. It's something you do. We'll come back to that. The second thing is why is work important? Purpose-driven. You know that. We work mm. with lots of clients. We've got a global presentation tonight with a whole bunch of heads of people talking about purpose and alignment and energy and connection. And the third one is, how do I want to work in the future? And that's about operating with them. So it's about one, new ways of work. Two, it's about purpose alignment. And three, it's around this operating rhythm. Well, one thing that's common, I hear you talk about work, is managing energy. So what, mm. what do people need to do? Yeah. The common thread here, I think, is about energy. We we all have a certain amount of energy that we generate or we give out to others. When it comes to hybrid, you were speaking about earlier how people were feeling very fatigued because they were trying to apply the old way of how they were working to this new hybrid world of work. But this is really impacting energy levels. And some of the studies we're hearing and seeing is that people are feeling very fatigued by this. What is your advice on how people can manage their energy levels in this hybrid world? Yeah, my advice is to do it differently to how most people are now. Uh, two things that have happened, Ange. We've got rid of the borders and the bookends that used to demarcate the day. And the second thing is we're just doing constant back-to-back Teams or Zoom meetings. So on the first one, if you think about this before, you know, when you were at KPMG, when we worked together, you would wake up, have a shower have breakfast, you go to work, and then you'd start work. So there's a whole warm-up on the bus, the train, the car, the bike, on the walk. But now we wake up, we shower, we have breakfast, and we're on. Mm. And then you would also wind down at the end of the day. And for some people, if they're commuting on public transport, the opportunity to, to close out tasks from the day, prepare for the next day, or it could be just read or do some email, and then you walk home. So there was this real demarcation between starting work and ending work. What happens now? Hey, I'm going to go from the kitchen to the makeshift office, which might also be the kitchen bench, and we just start working. So putting those borders and boundaries and bookends, that's the first thing. The second thing is, and there's loads of research on this, but you don't need research, Ange, just do it. Do a day of back-to-back meetings with no sunlight mm. and, and, and put your mitochondria to sleep because you're not getting these steps. We see this in our programs, right? The average person, when they first shifted to working from home, was getting two and a half to 3,000 steps per day because you go from one meeting to the next by doing this, click, one interview to the next, bang, one podcast to the next. So we took away that movement or the bump you have in the middle of an organisation or the bump you have when you're shifting to meetings. So you've got to build energy back into it. And one of the big 
biggest things that we do is if you are working from home on a day, don't just sit on your backside. At least like stand up. We can do that in the podcast studio. And I'm waking up my mitochondria and do walking meetings. And I try and do at least two or three walking meetings most days. In fact, I sit down with Todd, my EA slash our office manager, every Monday morning. And we look at where are the opportunities in those meetings coming up where I can move. So it sounds like a transition time and building buffer into our diaries and not just doing that back to back, which is what a lot of people are doing. And that's why they're feeling that constant fatigue because there's no breaks. And you talk about this in in sport, uh, the importance of breaks. Why, from a scientific perspective, what does it do to the brain when it comes to having these moments and these breaks. Yeah, well, Dr. Nicola Gates, our neuropsychologist, we've just put some content together on this as well, why people are feeling so fatigued working from home and then going to the office and then going to a, a, a hub or a different client site. Because when you just used to wake up, go to the office, you had a neural pathway. It was a habit structure. You didn't have to think about it. Whereas people are waking up now going, well, I'm at home, uh, I'm a client site, uh, I'm at an offsite. So they're having to reform these pathways every day and that's causing a lot of energy you, you, you burn much more energy when you toggle like that so i think the first thing to do is acknowledge hey hybrid requires more energy mm-hmm. in fact two what am i doing to replenish and boost my energies and then three how am i working differently and those little things i said at the start of a day do a walk you know do the daily circadian reset of, of a morning in the first 90 minutes try and get at least 10 to 15 minutes of direct sunlight exposure this is from dr Andrew Huberman's research. It'll help reset the body clock. Try and move for 30 minutes in that early part of the morning as well. So the bright light from the sun will wake you up and try and push your caffeine back about 90 minutes. So those things of a morning to reset the circadian clock make a huge difference. You know, when we were working through COVID, we had so many of our clients who were feeling like they were jet lagged Mm. because you are just not moving. You're not resetting the daily clock. So that's a big thing is about that daily reset. And then the other one is just at the start of the week, you've got to sit down and look at how am I going to optimize my time and my energy this week? Don't just think you're going to check in because you then check out or you get thrown out at the end of the week. And that's a lot of the practices that we teach. I like what you said about we need to change the way that we work. And I want to touch on, um, because now that we've established how to manage our energy levels, I want to talk about how we then use that additional energy that we've now gone because we've taken these steps that you, really practical tips that you've given people. And then how do we channel that so that we become more productive? So... When I worked at KPMG for like nearly 15 years, Andrew, um, there was this particular way that I operated. I was very much the doer. I was the pair of safe hands that you give me a project problem or issue, I'd be able to get it done. And that's how I learned because I want to really get my hands dirty. And that's how I climbed the corporate ladder. But what I realised in the last couple of years working at Strive Strong and as I'm getting more senior in my role or in my career, what I did before is not necessarily going to be what I need to do to become more successful. So what I'd love to know from you teaching senior executives on how to be more productive, what are some of the secrets that you teach them to implement into their working life to increase their productivity? 
First of all, Ange, I don't think there's any such thing as secrets. You know, everyone knows this info. It's readily available. Uh, I've been fortunate to work with a number of sporting teams, execs, CEOs, entire organisations who've trusted me and, and trusted us and previous companies I've had to run programs. And you soon see pretty quick what doesn't work and you adapt and then you find out what does work. I think there's three things. You've got to break, jam and design. And I've never explained this to you. Oh, that sounds like a dance. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> Cue music wizard. Let's break. Let's jam, let's design. First of all, because I've been thinking about this a lot, because yeah, I've got a well-being and exercise phys background, and for years I was fitness boy, and then I did psychology and I tried to rebrand or reposition as sort of psychology or culture boy. But I look at exercise physiology and I look at coaching psychology. They both underpin productivity. It's using the body and brain to optimise the clock or the Greek god Kronos. So we have to get out of our own way, yeah. then we have to jam some stuff in, and then we have to design something new. So it's breaking the busyness cycle to start with, which is there's a vicious cycle of responsiveness. And for anyone listening to this right now going, oh, I think I know what that means. It's when you wake up and you grab your weapon of mass distraction first thing of the morning before you even get out of bed, before you say hello to loved ones or family or flatmates or, or, or the world, and you scroll on social media, news feeds, you check email, and, and then your sympathetic nervous system clicks in straight away. So some people start working from a brain point of view and your brain goes into beta, your body's in sympathetic nervous system at 6am in the morning. Is it any wonder you get tired when you get to lunchtime? So break this busyness cycle. And, and I used to play a game at KPMG, you know this. I'd hop in the lift and I'd see other like friends, partners, and hi, Andrew, how was your weekend? Good. Yeah, how's your day? Yeah, yeah, good. Are you busy? No, no, how about, oh, mate, I'm so busy. Mm. We we have busy offs like a, a badge of fatigue. So I just say, oh, I'm productive. And people would look at me like they're about to spin out. Uh, so I think the language that we narrate internally about whether out of control, overwhelmed, crazy, hectic, you start to manifest that. Mm. So break the busyness cycle, one, by stop always saying you're busy. Yeah. When someone asks, how are you? And if they say I'm busy, no, better word, Angela, better word. And, and then the second thing, though, look at your behaviour. So back to what I said, the first 30 minutes of every day, a simple habit or tactic, get off your mobile phone. The last 30 minutes of the day, a simple habit or tactic, get off your mobile phone. Now you do this with your beautiful daughter, Aurelia. You wouldn't give her an iPad first thing of the morning to watch Bluey or to go to bed with... She'll love that though. She'd love it. <laughs> She'd be a little monster during the day, right? Because her sympathetic nervous or her central nervous system would become hijacked. So breaking the busyness cycle also requires some, some honesty on this. And if you have been busy for the last 10 weeks, 10 months, even 10 years with the same story, I'm so busy. I'll get to that when. When I finish this quarter, when I renovate the house, when I get in a relationship, yeah. when I get the kids through school, when, when I never comes. And, and what often happens with really busy people is there's a learned helplessness. Oh, I can't do anything about that now, which goes to a learned hopelessness. So helplessness, hopelessness creates this cycle or spirals Number one, break the business cycle. And I can see you nodding. And, and this is sometimes easier said than done. You've seen this in our programs that sometimes we'll have leaders go, yeah, look, 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 we get this Angela and Andrew, but get our troops to do it. If you don't do it as a leader, it's not going to happen throughout your team. So breaking that biggest business cycle is really important to start with. Then you can jam in what's important. What do you mean by jamming? Because it's not a jamming in a band, is it? <laughs> no, no, I don't sing very well, so I'm not going to have people dropping off by trying to sing. It's jamming in the five big rocks. So you've mm. heard me talk about the five big rocks. I just haven't jammed with you. 
If you don't put important activities in your diary, especially those of you in a large organization with an open diary, people just take your time. They jam other things in. They jam other things in. Meetings that's adding no value. Uh, request at the last minute that is impossible for you to balance life and energy and actually do that and balance everything else in your lives. So you've got to take control of the basics. Now, I'll give you a quick story where I, I, I was influenced by this. Do you have a goldfish at home? No, I, I had one before, but they die very quickly. No, that's a sad story. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because you put the goldfish tank together the wrong way. And so Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about the analogy. It's, it's a well-used analogy, but it's a great one. When you buy a goldfish, you then get the tank, you put in the big rocks first, then you put in the gravel, then the sand, then you put the little floaty thing in, you pour the water in, and then you put in Nemo, your little fishy. Right, that's of, how you do it. <laughs> that's why your fish died. So what a lot of people do on this metaphor is they get the goldfish tank, that's your diary, and then they throw in a couple of little things you know, that doesn't add value. And then when they've got the water filled with back-to-back -back useless bloody meetings, yeah, time-wasted distractions in open plan offices, or what's the equivalent now is when we're working at home with Teams or Zoom and constant messaging coming at us the whole time. So we never get into flow. We never allow our brains to get into deep work, which Cal Newport says is the absolute ultimate productivity tool to get into deep work. So we're setting ourselves up in this environment where we're constantly on. Harvard Business Review did some research a few years ago for the first time ever, first time in history, goldfish, little suckers, have a greater attention span than humans mm. if we don't put some of these productivity basics. Goldfish can focus for eight seconds. That was four, okay? <laughs> I can see you tapping your finger. Get on with the story. Goldfish focus longer than human beings, Ange, if we don't put in productivity tactics. So we've got to think about the analogy, putting in the big rocks first. So my five productivity big rocks, you know this because we practice it, I just don't call it jam. Number one is you do your weekly plan. Two is you have a team meeting. Three is you do your daily warm up and daily warm down, very much influenced by sport. Four is we put in deep work or FI, forced isolation, because most people have NFI, no forced isolation. Yes. <laughs> right. And then number five is rear view mirror, where you look back. So going through each one of those quickly, the weekly plan is where you sit down, ideally print out your diary. I do, because if I get on my laptop, I get distracted. And then I'll sit down and do my better week plan. I normally do it on a Sunday night or a Monday morning. Now, some people might do it on a Friday Arvo, but you look at what are the key performance moments coming up this week? What do I really need to have an impact on? Which of my team members do I need to connect with? You know, what presentations, what meetings? It's the big things in your business life, but you know how I do this. I reverse engineer and put in what are my fitness sessions? When do I connect with the kids? What's really important in my personal life? And I put that in first to energize me, connect me, nourish me, and then I do the work stuff around that. So once a week, you're looking forward, trying to set up what a good week looks like. The second thing is a team meeting. And we do this on a Monday morning. So we have our team meeting for our whole staff, 9am, make it short and sharp and have everyone do their plan for their week before they come to the team meeting. You know what that does? 
that sets their focus for the week. It gives you as a leader an extra half day productivity for each of your team members. Now, the reason why so many companies have implemented four day work weeks and it's worked, because for most teams, Monday morning's a write off and Friday afternoon's a write off. So you get rid of the edges and you compress it into four days. Woohoo, everyone's more productive. So it does, it gives everyone an attentive focus, but it makes your team much more productive. Now, a subset for leaders who have support staff or EAs, I, I recommend you meet with your EA before the team meeting. So Todd and I, my EA, we meet 8.30am every Monday morning. We print out the week. I look at how many sales meetings do we have, how many presentations, what key podcasts, digital content, what do we really need to focus on this week? So then Todd's clear, I'm clear, then the team's clear, bang, then you get on with your week. And then number three, Ange, is the daily warm-up and daily warm-down. Yes, this has a sporting note to it, but any sport I've been involved in, you don't just go out and train or you don't just go out and play in front of tens of thousands of people. You warm up and then at the end of a game, you warm down. One of the things when I entered the corporate world in my late 20s, because I'd been cocooned in sport, is I saw there was no warm-up, no warm-down. People just got into it and then there was this, just it was not on. There was no pulsing. It was just like this static linearity. So a daily warm-up, if you're a morning person, it's at the start of the day. If you're a, what we call a bear, you're an afternoon person, you think mornings suck, do it the night before. That's me. <laughs> and that's where you – I added that for you. It's where you sit down and ask questions like, what are my key moments today or tomorrow? Uh, what does success look like for this meeting? Who do I need to contact in my team or customers or clients? What will success look like? And it literally is a coffee or a tea at the start of the day and just looking forward, what are the key performance moments? And when you do that on a busy day, like we've got a busy day today. Mm. Uh, interesting talking about productivity on a day like today. At one stage, I think we both wanted to squeeze it out, but no, 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 we did our plan and knew it was going to be tight. Mm. But when you do that warm up, Ange, I find there was a show a number of years ago on Channel 7 called Thank God You're Here with mm -hmm. Shane Bourne. Remember that? And you're yeah. put into a situation and it's like, hey, Ange, wizard, thank God you're here. And you have a couple of seconds to work out, Shit, I'm in a bakery, I'm flying an aeroplane. If you don't do your daily warm-up, it's like, thank God you're here when you get into meetings and you scramble. Those of you listening, you've done this. Uh, Carol, can you give us an update? Oh, yes, yes, I'm just having trouble getting it on my computer because Carol's done no warm-up. You know, she's flown straight in. And then the warm-down is looking back at the day and closing out loops. What email, what message, is there a social media post? Just to finish the day, uh, cold case, I'm using lots of TV shows here. Cold case, they put the file up when the case is finished. I like to think of the warm-down like you put the day up as the day's finished. So that's the daily warm up and daily warm down. Um, have I told you about uh, fresh bread style bread? That might have been something that I told you, I suspect. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about fresh bread style bread. Uh, well, this is something that I learned at uh, KPMG. We took copious notes when we were out at client sites and we would then have to translate into, um, I think they used to be called file notes or, or work file, working notes or work files, can't remember now. Um, but what I found and what we taught juniors as they were coming up with the ranks was to do them straight away. Translate your notes into something that is readable on the day because 
otherwise it becomes like bread if it's fresh and you do it on the day it's fresh bread but if you live for any longer it becomes stale and you kind of forget the conversations and your notes are all scratchy and scratchy and you can't really see um, what you've written so that's the concept around fresh bread unless if you're making a caesar salad you would leave it out so the bread is stale and if you're making a caesar salad you would do that in your deep work time see how i got that into number four so number four is deep work or forced isolation and that's when you look at your week again this goes back to the planning at the start of the week you know i'm a morning person so sometimes you'll get messages from me at 5 30 or 6 a.m in the morning uh, i don't expect you to respond it's just that that's when i'm working and doing my deep work and that's when you reflect think create uh, it's all the creative stuff. Or if you don't have to do a lot of that in your job, put in some work uninterrupted where you can get into what Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, God bless his soul, the Hungarian psychologist who came up with the term flow. It's when time transcends and you get into lots of work in a short period of time. So even if you're not creating, writing, doing all that stuff, just look at batching similar tasks, put a cocoon or barriers around you and do deep work or forced isolation. And number five, it's very similar to your star bread, fresh bread analogy. I like to do this on a Friday afternoon. It's rear view mirror. Because I mentioned earlier, Monday mornings are normally a write-off. We fix that with the weekly plan and your team meeting. Uh, yeah, just out of uh, interest, some of the team meetings, Ange, I get execs to do, they stand up. That meeting does two things. It's a lot shorter and they're more focused and more energised. Uh, so the fifth one is the rear view mirror. Ideally on a Friday afternoon, you look back. Like when you drive, most of your view is out the front and about 10 or 15% in your rear view mirrors. That's what you do on a Friday afternoon. You close out the week. That does a few things. One, from a customer service and a momentum point of view, you feel like you are good. You're connected. Two, it gives you a week end. Because what happens if you don't close out Friday afternoon? Where does Monday morning go? Ah, oh, And it's stale bread. It takes three times as long. So the five big rocks. Number one, do a weekly plan. Two, team meeting to start the week. If you have an EA or support staff, a quick meeting with them as well. Three is daily warm up and daily warm down. Four is deep work or forced isolation. And five is rear view mirror. And then that allows you to set up a construct that we call the better week. It's really interesting to hear you because I know we do implement a lot of these things, but it's interesting to hear why we've structured it the way that we have. And it really works. Uh, we Individually, we've got our better weeks. And my story around the better week, when I first started, I didn't even have a better week. I've heard it as a concept, but I actually didn't apply it until maybe three months or so after I uh, started at Strive Stronger. And I did feel that it was a shift in the my re relationship with my central nervous system. I Before that, I felt that I was being dragged from meeting to meeting and I didn't really have a sense of what was happening throughout the day or the week. But actually sitting down, doing that better week, doing that look forward and review mirror really changed the way that I felt like I felt like I was much more in control of my diary, in control of what I was doing and therefore much more focused and, and more productive. So it really does work setting up this better week. Mm. What is some of the science behind the better week that Before you Before I do the with? science, what, 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 teach, the, teach us the better week because you're better <laughs> at teaching this than I am because when we do a corporate workshop, I, I think if we do it with leaders, mine lands, but when we do it with broader teams, they look at mine and go, I'm never going to get that. Now, uh, underscore my diary, I consciously set up based on colours to try and do two or three delivery events a week, a half day coaching, uh, mental skills work, and then making sure I have five to seven sales meetings. So I, I, I'm very am 
conscious that my better week is able to be set up because we've got a small team and and I'm really clear on here's how I want my diary to set up. Mm. But when you're working for a larger organisation, you need a lot more white space. So I think you're better at teaching this. So tell us, Ange, um, flipping the interview on you, you, you said it gave you control of your central nervous system, but mm. how do you teach someone to design the better week? Well, when I sit down with someone, I start off with a blank sheet and I tell them to look at what are the things that give them joy and gives them value in their life and put those things in first and don't put the work things in straight away. So for myself, I put in time with my family or time with in connection with friends. So I'll put that in my diary first. I put in time for passions, hobbies, and I love to paint like, you know, so I make sure that I put in time in my diary for me and that's to pursue my interests. And then the third thing I put in is uh, exercise and exercise is not something that I love doing despite working with Strive Strong and we talk about movement a lot. It's actually not something that um, I love to do, but I love how it makes me feel and I know what it does to my energy levels. So I make sure I put those times in my diary so that I remain accountable to myself. And then we teach people to put in their daily um, warm-ups and warm-downs and look back at the day and the week to review their priorities and set themselves up for the following day so that you're not being driven by other people's agenda, but you're looking at your own task list and you're not just being reactive and you're putting in time in your diary so that when you do do your tasks for the day, for the week, you're based on the to-do list that you set up and not email alerts or last minute urgent requests, which sometimes you need to do, especially in the large organisation. So that's why it's important to leave that white space in. But this way, at least you're still putting time to focus on the things that you want to do so that you feel that sense of achievement at the Mm. end of the day. And just adding on that, because we haven't covered it yet, but there's a couple of things that people need to do before we even do the big rocks. Turn off the notification on your watch. Anyone who has email and pop-ups and tweets and text messages coming onto your watch, get rid of it. You will never break the business cycle when you've got that constant stream of messaging coming to your watch. The second thing is turn off your pop-up alert, especially for email. Mm. Yeah, it's just those pop-up alerts, bang, bing, 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 they just get everyone overrided. Now, back to your better week teaching. I like the way you do that. Someone listening to this going, or in our programs, we often get this online, especially, Angela, it's all right for you. You have no idea what it's like to work inside the bank, the consulting firm, the government agency, the telco. How can I possibly start this in an organisation where everyone slammed me? From the moment I get into work Monday morning, I have hundreds of emails. Mm. I have no decision-making capacity. Everyone pushes me from one thing to the other. I feel like I'm going to burn out. It is the great resignation because I can't... I'm feeling stressed as I'm saying this story. But for someone who feels like there's no way I can do what you do or what I do, where do they start? Well, it's interesting because I have worked for 15 years in a consulting firm, so I do know what that feels like. But I think it's important to set boundaries and expectations so that you're not feeling that you have to be responsive and reactive every single time. And you do get that space in your diary to think, do that strategic deep work, because that was one thing that I didn't cover, was to put in time in your diary where you can do focused work so that you're not constantly responding to emails and notifications 
and the bips and the bops and all the things that are distracting you. But put in time in your diary where you can focus and do the work that you're paid to do, which isn't answering emails, but doing the strategic thinking and the delivery of the projects or the report, whatever it is that you're paid to do without those distractions. And I also want to challenge that whole notion of I have to be responsive straight away. I have to jump when people say jump and and be um, at the mercy of other people's um, agendas. I think it's about send, setting communications, having clear communication protocols with your manager, with your with juniors, and not just using emails as the only way of delegating and communicating tasks. Because if you send out a lot of emails, you're going to get back mm-hmm. a lot of emails. So if something that can be that is not super urgent and can be done better in a phone call or in a meeting do that and not just put that in an email. If you're ping-ponging like several times with a colleague, pick up the phone. It's probably going to be a five-minute chat rather than a half-hour email ping-ponging. And that's why people are feeling so busy all the time because they're constantly just responding to emails. I love hearing you say that. Can we go back to a conversation, Angela Poon, that you and I had about 18 to 20 months ago? You'd been at KPMG for 15 years. We worked together and we got on really well at KPMG. We had a good operating rhythm, but we couldn't put a lot of this in. We, we sort of did a little bit on the edges. But then when I'd set up here, it was bang, okay, I'm going to set up the infrastructure around productivity that I know works in a small organisation that I can influence. And you weren't really buying into it. You were a bit overwhelmed. You were a bit overloaded. Pick up the story. Yeah, when you told me and you asked me whether I'd done my better week and I was like, no, I was thinking, how is putting some pretty colours onto a page going to make any difference? But for those that are listening that are sceptical, I just do it because it's about changing the way that you think about your week and it's about sitting down, it's slowing down and thinking, okay, how can I approach my week in a much more structured way that's going to give me value? Just sit down, do it. It's going to make a difference. And it's something that you teach top ASX CEOs all um, in, in Australia and, and globally. Well, they're often as sceptical as you. But they actually, they like it when they see your watercolours. So if Angela painted hers in watercolours, I'd do mine in a little scribble and sometimes the kids help me. But yeah, like we've had multiple. One comes to mind with a large Australian bank, uh, one of the, the big leaders at the start of the program. He was on camera, right, mm. saying, oh, I'm not really quite sure. And then four weeks later, he's owning it like mm. it's the, the best thing he's ever done. His whole team's implementing it. Uh, you asked about the science. There's three or four things around the better week. It's not just colouring pencils and putting blocks of time together. Uh, number one, externalises your memory. Mm-hmm. And this is why uh, Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs was renowned to do this as well, wear the same clothes. It takes out that decision-making process and, and some of the energy you're saving from that. So it helps externalise memory and put week into construct, especially the big blocks with exercise and other stuff as well. Number two, the visual recognition system we've been talking about, V. There is a real science behind colours. Uh, We're working with a pharmaceutical group at the moment, Ange, doing our executive performance program. And you sat in on the coaching session last week and you said at the end you were amazed how many of them said, quote, I now look at my diary and I can see exactly what I'm doing based on the colours. So whatever the colours are, but you can look, if you've gone from a monochrome sea of grey and you make sales red mm. or you make internal creativity yellow, you can then look at how much stuff are you doing outside of internal meetings that's not adding value or revenue. It's also aspirational. So there's a, an inspirational, aspirational, visionary imagery part of this as well. 
Mm. I love now that my diary is coloured. Before, when I first started and it was just the same colour, I'd see my diary and I'd just see all these blocks and I'd just feel this instant stress. And it was because I didn't know what they were. And I had to look into it and go, well, what's that meeting for? What's that meeting for? What's that meeting for? Now I'm looking and I'm like, all right, these are my client delivery times. These are internal meetings. These are the sales meetings. And then I feel like I'm a lot more in control. And it's funny how just colours can do that to your central nervous system. Mm. And, you, and people also need to do a QMA. You know what a QMA is? I just made up the acronym. It's a quarterly meeting audit. Now, we don't have to really do this at Strive because we've got a small team of 10 or 12. But when you're in a large organisation, every quarter, do an audit of the meetings, you know, because you'll have your own internal meetings, you'll have dotted line reportings, you'll have client meetings. And if you don't get quite ruthless about this, and, and, and I like to get people to print out an A3 and then just cut, cut, cut. And it's amazing how much time in big organisations people save, and medium too, when you really ask the question, is this meeting adding value? Hmm. Yes or no? Is this meeting something that needs to be every week? Can it be every month? Do we need to go for two hours? And if you cut, 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 literally you'll save hours doing a QMA, quarterly meeting audit. When you tell our clients this, it's really interesting because their eyes will go wide and go, I can't do that. Yes, That's not possible. No one's what? holding a gun <laughs> to your head or handcuffing you to the desk. Of course you can do it. Yeah, I was just going to say, what, what is it that, what advice do you give to people who feel like, but that's not possible in my organisation. I have to be in all of those meetings. I have to show presence. I have to be seen. What, what, what do you tell them? Uh, well, the biggest myths, Ange, on productivity is productivity is hours worked. Yeah, it's not. Productivity is work done in an optimal time aligned to your energy levels. So those people that check in for 50 or 60 hours a week, that's not productivity. That's a myth. The, the, and answering your question on two levels, if you're a leader listening to this, model the behaviour, give everyone permission. Okay? If you're reporting to a leader, have a discussion with that leader. Here's what I'd like to do. Here's why. You can contact us, get the science behind it, but put a compelling argument forward about how this is going to help you work smarter and benefit the organisation. Always as an employee, position how it's going to help your employer. By the way, you'll have more life outside as well, but position it for the benefit of the employer. So, Andrew, with everything that we've been speaking about with hybrid work, with productivity, there is a thread that ties this all together. And I hear you speaking a lot about this in, in your keynotes and in our programs and it's around operating rhythm. Can you explain what that is and why it's important? I think operating rhythm is just a rhythmic pulse. And there's two rhythmic pulses you should be looking at. One is the, the team or the organisational operating rhythm. And the second one is the individual operating rhythm. On the organisational one, that's a another conversation for another day. Uh, but a couple of little things on that is, as a leader, just look at, you know, what are the days people are coming in? This goes back to that hybrid work two-way conversation. So at Strive Stronger, our team operating rhythm, Monday morning is our meetings. We're all in here on a Monday or our key clients or consultants will dial into meetings. Tuesday, you work four days a week and you're really good. You put barriers and boundaries on Tuesday. That's my MFD, a meeting-free day. So I come in on most Tuesdays and go... Oh, I can settle in. So Todd and I like to have a goal of having no meetings. And then the rest of the week is client or product uh, demanded. So that's a high level of our team operating rhythm. And then you go your individual operating rhythm. So individual operating rhythm, there's five things, Ange. There's annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily. How do you go about designing those five things? If I'm working with an exec team, they get this on the annual operating rhythm. And then this works on, and you get this as well, for parents and, and even those of you working who don't have kids in your own immediate family, 
you'll understand the operating rhythm quarterly because we tend to work for 10 or 11 weeks, which is a school term, and then have a two-week break, which is school holidays. Organisations, especially publicly listed companies or large organisations with a board or governance structure, will have a quarterly reporting season. So your annual cycle is, I like to do this on an A3, print out and what are the themes of the months and the quarters. So, so you know, I take most of January off because I like to go hard. I think life is an extreme sport. So for me, February, around June, July and October is the normal running of the business and heaps of keynotes. So part of my annual operating rhythm, I know I'm going to just go really busy February, mid-year and October. If you want to be a keynote speaker and speak at conferences, both on demand now, live that we're back to live events, oh, I love live events, and hybrid, and if you're going to complain about travel or being tired, get a new job. So I, I gear myself up for those big months in my annual operating rhythm, and I'll take a bit of a break during a really busy month, a three-day weekend, or at the end, consciously down-regulate. So that, that's your annual rhythm. Your quarterly goes in cycles, and again, we do this, Ange, we have quarterly goals. So goals Goals around products, goals around people, process. You love that, don't you? The process <laughs> and systems. Favorite. Promotion, which is marketing, and you need the pricing or the monies because you've got to have money coming in to run a business. Then monthly, you'll have different themes, like I mentioned for me in keynote season. Uh, we know a lot of people in consulting firms and, and large organisations, the big banks, financial institutions, even some government departments. January is really quiet. So for your individual and organisational operating rhythm, it's a good natural drop in pulse. Now, the weekly operating rhythm, there's a thing called your weekly pulse. And we know from research on this that I mentioned before about our, the way we set up our week, Monday mornings for most organisations and people is a flat spot. Friday afternoon's dead. You never go to risk in a large company on a Friday afternoon. They will just say no. They're tired and fatigued and they're wanting to get out the door. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays are better day for cognitive work, for processing work. So that's the weekly pulse. And then some of those habits we've got around the five big rocks help you bump up some of the productivity. Now, the big one that we haven't spoken about, but is your daily or ultradian rhythm. Humans work in waves. So at the start of this, I said operating rhythm is that rhythmic pulse. So we know, Ange, we've been talking for a bit over an hour. We'll go for another probably 15, 20 minutes and you'll feel a natural dip in energy. That's your ultradian rhythm. So we tend to roll for 90 to 100 minutes and drop a little bit. School, they know this. Kids get to school and they play before the bell and then they study for 90 minutes and then they have little lunch and then they study for a couple of hours and then they have big lunch and then they study and go home and have milky and then play. But we don't work that ultradian rhythm into our day, especially with hybrid work. This is where the nerdy exercise physiologist in me gets excited sort of blending or having a love child with the coaching psychology student because you use physiology to help your brain and you use both of those to make you more productive. So overall an operating rhythm, you've got annual rhythm, I like the annual plan. We have that upstairs on the office. Quarterly focus, you'll have different monthly targets, have a weekly rhythm designed by your better week, and then work in rhythmic pulsing throughout the day and, and taking regular energy breaks. I really like how you put that together, Andrew. It's really a good way to look at 
your year, your quarter, your month, your week, and your day and plan and put in those things into your plan so that you have those moments where you recover, the moments where you work really hard so that you're pulsating throughout your uh, year or your month or your week and you're not just operating like a projector or a light and you're not always on so you're not burning out. And, and I learned that from sport. So anyone listening to this who's had an involvement in sport or studies sport, watches sport, we call it periodization. So like in, in NRL, we know the finals are in September and you, you're playing and training to be in the finals. And then you want everyone to go to another level up and then you have an off season. So you have time to recover. Around round 12, there's a natural break for state of origin, but it's a drop in intensity. So, you know, they don't say, let's play NRL for 24, it's 24 rounds with a break in the middle. And then there's a big off season, right? I learned this in track and field. As a runner, you want to be peaking in February and March when you've got the state championships and national titles if you qualify for that. So then the rest of your year, the whole winter is building a base. As you come into the early months of summer, you're building speed, you're starting to race. So there's a real focus in sport. And again, one of the things I saw with fresh eyes entering the corporate world later than most is why does everyone just run at a million miles an hour mm. every day? No plan, no warm-up, no structure. <clears throat> and that's why we see so much burnout. Mm. Well, that's why there's so much talk about the great resignation. Dr. Adam Grant, uh, the psychologist, leading psychologist, talks about the great resignation is not just COVID. It's been building for decades. So millennials are questioning. They saw their parents work the exact opposite to what I'm talking about. No rhythm large hours. They thought productivity hours worked. Uh, some of those millennials either have seen mum and dad split up or they haven't had that real connection. I'm not doing that. And the millennials are questioning how, why, what do we do differently? Second thing is we've had this acceleration in technology. It took over 50 years to get 75 million users on the telephone. It took Angry Birds 30 days. So there's now so much acceleration. And, you know, with COVID, look at us, Ange. Uh, we thankfully had had Mario set us up on Teams. Some of us, me, was a little bit late to the party with SharePoint and other stuff. But how much more productive has that made us? There's been huge gains in productivity, massive gains in productivity. That's been building for 10 years. And the third thing, it's just been a constant procession of natural disasters, droughts, floods, bushfires. We've got geopolitical instability now with the Ukraine and the war. And then there's been no surge capacity, no drop. So I think the three things millennials are questioning, the acceleration in technology, and we've now taken recovery out of mm. most of our natural daily processes. I'm interested to hear, Andrew, when you are working with these CEOs and really senior executives on their productivity and you tell them about their better week and how they can set a new operating rhythm, what are some of the responses and the, or the pushback that you hear from them and how? what do you tell them? I think if it's a CEO of a large organisation and they've approached me, there's no pushback because they'll want me to work with them. But I put those people in the two brackets. One is the fix and the other one is the accelerate. So the fix is they've heard me speak or they've read the book or someone's spoken to them. It's normally word of mouth from another male or female exec. 
uh, hey, I know you work with this person. Can you work with me? What, what do you want to achieve? Uh, and then they'll answer it. So the, the fix is, number one, break the business cycle, <laughs> jam in the big rocks, and then let's craft a better week. It's, it's the same badge for someone who's running an organisation with 50 or 65,000 people as it is for someone who's running a boutique practice or, or you know, a, a speaker, creator I'm working with at the moment is just him. It's the same process for each of those. But the Accelerate, and it's really interesting, Dr Tom Buckley and I, we're now working with a bunch of executives and entrepreneurs and high net worth individuals and they'll want the Accelerate. They'll want to tap into the fountain of youth. They'll want to look at all the performance accelerators. And some of our clients... It's, it's blowing us away how informed they are mm. on supplements and nutrition and sauna and cold therapy. And is this related to productivity? Not exactly on the agenda today, but it absolutely helps them be the rock star CEO and connect with their family outside and stay healthy and fit. So I'm seeing a real change in the last three or four years. And we've had two clients recently, Dr. Tom said, post-first consultation in his Irish accent, me. Uh, I can't believe the the amount of knowledge and practices some of these people put in. They, they, they are truly corporate athletes and, and they're the ones that between you and I, I love working with. It stretches me and you're getting them to, it might only be three or four or five percent, but you're pulling on every possible lever. But if you need the fix, don't go past go, don't collect $200 until you get the basics in place. What about for somebody that's just starting out in their career and they're hearing all these things and they're feeling a bit overwhelmed at the moment and go, how do I try to learn everything and do all to get all the experience to get and build up my career and now you're telling me to do all these things differently what advice do you give to yeah, them? Yeah I can imagine some of those people feeling a bit overwhelmed um, so if they haven't switched off already the people who are just starting if they are really future proofing and getting these skills for the next 10 or 15 years I'd only do one or two things I'd do a, a rough week structure and I'd put in some of your personal activities. So I'd do a very scaled down bit a week and I'd do a daily warm up. That's it. Would you add anything to that? Focus time. I think I still put in some focus time because um, even though you are, yes, reactive and oh, you have to be reactive and you have to respond and you're busy um, doing a lot of the delivery put in that focus time where you're free of distractions, free of the buzzing of notifications so that you can uh, monotask hmm. rather than multitask. Because I think, especially with uh, people that have grown up with, in the digital age and we're so used to, you know, checking your phones and your WhatsApp messages and your social media. And a lot of what the research is showing is that, uh, the, especially those in the younger generation, they're constantly having their phones right in front of them. So they're constantly being distracted. So another thing I would suggest is to put your mobile phone away, switch the notifications off and have that focus time so you can yeah. concentrate. Good, good addition, Ange. We'll, add, we'll make it three. So number one is do a, a scale down better week and putting in activities for you personally that nourish you, connect you. Bit of exercise, a bit of social time, maybe some creative time. Do a daily warm-up every day. What What is the key focus of the day? And yes, either once or twice, if you can every day, a bit of focus time. Interesting on the research on that with millennials and uh, crossing over into Gen Ys, when they're working at a desk with a laptop, the mobile phone is screen up in front of them. 
more my generation, the more mature generation, the Gen Xs and beyond, will often have their mobile to the side. So that's a really good tip. When you are doing work, you want to do uninterrupted, put your mobile phone away. Mm. I was just reading an article um, or um, I was talking to Dr. Christie Goodwin, who's our digital wellbeing expert, and she's saying that even having the phone visible in front of you, even if it's face down, it is actually um, causing you to become or feel distracted. So that's something that I just recently learned. So I am like you, I put it on the side. Now I'm actually going to change it so that I'm actually going to be putting it away so that it doesn't distract me. But doesn't mean that you can you can still set alerts on your phone so that if it's your boss or someone that you need to um, make sure that you receive their calls, you can still set those alerts so that they still come yeah. through but for everybody else you can just switch off but all those notifications um, the new identification on apple or the, the screen so when i'm working in flow or deep work my parents can get me tony my partner she can get me my kids and todd that's it <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even make the list <laughs> <laughs> well you know to get me through todd <laughs> Thanks, Andrew, for the strategies and tips that you had today to help improve productivity. There's a few takeaways that I had. One is around breaking the busyness cycle. So breaking that badge of honor or breaking that monologue that we have around how busyness equates to productivity and changing the language that we have around being busy all the time is actually being productive. The second one is the importance of doing the better week because I think that sets the frame for actually putting a lot of what you've said into practice. And the third one is developing a new operating rhythm so that we have peaks and troughs in the way that we operate and we're putting in that recovery time so we're not constantly operating at the same intensity, which leads to a lot of burnout and the great resignation or the great realignment um, that you spoke about. One of the things that I'd like to add to those three is having delivered programs um, through Strive Stronger to hundreds, um, if not thousands of people, um, is to start small. I think a lot of people feel very overwhelmed um, at the beginning because they feel like they need to put in everything and people feel like if they can't do everything perfectly, they do nothing at all. It's actually really important to just do a little bit. Be kind to yourself. Put in those things that are easy um, to do at first and then revisit. So revisit your better week on a regular basis and then start adding more in. And before you know it, it becomes a lot more achievable over time. So thank you, Andrew, for today. And I really enjoyed hosting the podcast. Hey, it's Andrew, and we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Strive Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com where you can explore the books I have written, including MatchFit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite. Or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really 
really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, the AM edition.